2: starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lea. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Steve Grasso, and diadami Dami. Tonight on Fast, Facebook, under federal investigation, sending the stock plummeting into bear market territory, closing down more than 19% from its recent highs, is the worst still to come for the social media giant. Plus, Bitcoin under pressure, falling back below $8,000, and Twitter jumps on the bandwagon to ban cryptocurrency ads. But the Bitcoin bear market isn't slowing down the app for ICOs. We'll talk to the CEO of Coinless, the company managing nearly a billion dollars in crypto investments, about what the next big ICO could be. But first, we start off with the market. Stocks staging a stunning comeback even Rocky would be envious of. The Dow surging nearly 700 points after last week's major losses. This unsoothing words from the Trump administration, downplaying the possibility of a trade war erupting over the weekend. And the market leaders coming back with a vengeance. Tech and financials both soaring. So, is the worst of the selling over? Can you trust the rally? Guy.
3: Well, a couple things. That might be one of the top five worst songs of all time. <laughs> oh, I know you don't know. About no, that. I'm, I'm Survivor
4: came back with another one for, like,
3: Rocky 7. So Equally amazing. lousy. Oh, but God, God, the best God. movie of all time. And
2: Anyway, Godfather. Well, Get right on, on. back divergence. on point, quickly, quickly, quickly,
3: so if we go back, quickly back in time. On Thursday, Steve Grosso at, f- at 5.30 sauntered over to that Telestrator, I don't know what we call it anymore, Plasma. but he said a key level for this market to watch was 25.88 in the S&P or thereabouts. Where did we close on Friday? Basically exactly that level, huge level for the market. On Friday, we said no idea which way this market is going on, Mel, no clue whatsoever, but what we did say is once it starts to move, don't fade that move. Be it lower, don't try to buy it. Be it higher, don't try to sell it. And this market closed on the absolute high today. Now, what does it mean for the next couple days? Tony Dwyer is going to be here. My sense is he will be bullish. He's right to be. I still think there are tremendous headwinds in the form of the Fed and a lot of other things going around. But in terms of just um, speed in which the market can move, I think the next couple of days will continue to be higher.
2: What do you think?
5: So we had a couple of days where we were saying, what was the biggest market story? Was it rates? Was it uh, tariffs? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it Facebook? So today you saw the tariff trade or that sort of you know, move into the background. But we probably should have had that move into the background on Friday when you have Trump come out and say, I'm going to veto that spending bill. Then what do you do? A couple hours later, he signs the spending bill. So do we really need – we've been talking about bark, all bark, no bite. Are you saying you don't, you don't believe that this administration means what they say?
4: Because, in I, fact, I'm I, saying think that I think it's market it more than ever.
5: I, I think it's a negotiating tactic. We've all talked about this. It's not, it's not breaking new ground. I think it's a negotiating tactic. How deep is that it remains to be seen. But Mnuchin comes out, sues the market. Well, why wouldn't Facebook that be us,
6: something I, I, that we can't trust?
5: Oh, How do we, we know? I, yeah, I take the other Mnuchin, side of
4: yeah, it. I, well, I mean, Mnuchin's comments, uh, I'm not sure that Mnuchin is is crafting this policy. I, I realize he's the Treasury Secretary, he's certainly on the inner circle, but he's not the one that's been well, we've already uh, seen most vociferous of in terms of trade policy. We've already
5: seen them back off of NAFTA. We've already seen them back off of steel. We've, ha- we've seen the carve-outs. So we've already seen what Trump is willing to do and what, what he's not willing to do. And we saw it on Friday where he said, I'm going to come out and I'm going to veto that spending but bill. But isn't that slowly well, wearing hours the later, market down? It. I
4: realize we had a great day today, and I think it's important to actually talk about you know, both sides of the market, which... We always do here, but I mean, um, I, I still think that if it was Friday, we'd be talking about four or five things that you I highlighted, that we always highlight, um, that I, I think are important. I think the administration is starting to wear down the market. I think the lack of predictability is starting to wear down the market. I think this administration's done phenomenal things for the market. Let's be clear. Uh, part of this is that I think there is some fear that some of that stuff is coming undone, and that they're not going to get more done. Uh, that's that's where I fly well, on. Well, there's no
2: way this. there's no way of predicting what the Chinese will do, and with it, what's different from now is that they can't carve out exclusions with a deal right. just with China. So I mean, whatever off, it is, they it they is. Back off think a, back working, but I'll tell you what, if you
5: I think look at... working behind the scenes with China. They could I think, be, but I we don't know. If you look them at them as as what the markets did us. today, right, let's
6: look outside just the U.S. You look at the European markets, which were the hardest hit on these trade wars. DAX hit new lows again today. All the European markets looked horrible today. So maybe we get a rally here in the U.S. Maybe it's good for a couple days. Maybe it's good for a week even. We've had a tremendous sell-off. Wouldn't surprise me to get a snapback rally. But I don't think the danger
5: is over. You need to be very careful here. I'm not here. saying we're completely out of the woods because we still have technical damage I just, that we have to undo. We're still below. You keep saying that you are backing average.
6: off. How do I know that backing off means backing off when – being being hard nosed so are being, we are we, are we
2: inherently saying that it was the headlines about the trade wars and about right. you know the, 100%. the he- that no, be the market if, so if tomorrow if tomorrow we get any sort of headline saying things are breaking down or beijing issues some sort of strong eat straight edict, down straight right. down again yes. so there's nothing else that causes this I think it's facebook point- and china no, look let's not
4: forget that we had a fed last week on wednesday it seemed like they thread the needle this is a term we like to use i, I mean there's no question that Jerome Powell was hawkish on the economy. He upgraded 2019. He upgraded 2020. He basically said, hey, look, I did. we made one rate hike here. We can do whatever we want at the next one. We're only going to talk about this one. So, uh, look, there, there's the same issues that had this market unnerved are still there with volatility. That You know, you talked about volatility falling. I expect volatility is going to be around 20 for the next decade like it was for the decade before the
3: crisis, before central banks got involved. That's what it's going to be. It's interesting. Volatility came back to this market in early Early February, long before. And I don't know. I didn't know how to spell tariff. Them. I'm always concerned if it's two R's, one F, or one R, two Reverse, F's. I think yeah. it's two Fs. Two R's, two spelled Tennessee or Both. <laughs> I think I do. But that's that's not important right <laughs> anyway. now. Anyway, well, similar is, problem. You know, this there. market <laughs> started getting volatile and started going lower long before we had any of the the whiffs of tariffs. So my sense is, I think this is sort of what Tim and BK are saying. This has got a lot more to do with than just tariffs. I think there are headwinds out there. But in the short term, given that we held exactly where we needed to hold on Friday, I think you can see it bounce over the next couple of days. How about this? If you don't get the sell-off
5: in the next week, Timmy and I were talking about this last week, you have end of quarter, you have end of month. If you don't get the sell-off before earnings start kicking up, I think you missed that needle. You miss that you cannot thread that needle any longer with the sell-off. I think you, you have the tailwinds I, of corporate tax cuts. I think it's going to be very hard to not... Even if this. we, if I we mean, make
2: it through the next week, if we make it through I end of quarter that. with no sell-off, think, then, we're, this, then it's off week, to the races?
5: I think this week you could have the ability, I don't think we're out of the woods, I think you have the ability to break down, if we break that 200 day, and now it's a shortened holiday week, so you never short a dull market, but we have an ability to break down substantially today, maybe the following week, but after that, I think you've got tailwinds of earnings, It's going to be kind of hard to sell Well, you have tailwinds of earnings as long as there's not a trade war. I
6: mean, again, that's what it comes back to. Because we're looking for earnings growth, but if companies can't grow because of the trade war, then you won't have that. The market will reprice what those earnings are going to be. I mean, to me, it's it's just so obvious the trade war is what is driving this market. Yes, we had these other things and it started, but what is the immediate driver of this market. It's the trade war or lack of a trade
4: Look, war. You know, the, the trade war, if we had gotten it two or three, month, three months ago, I don't think the market would have responded the same way. I disagree a little bit what you're saying about Europe because, I mean, emerging markets were up three and a half percent today, three and a half percent. So these should be most affected by trade, and they should be the higher risk markets, even though I, I think, you know, there's no question that Europe has been trading poorly. I think some of this is just related to the dynamics politically there, also concern about the strength of the Europe, because if anything, I think the euro wants to go higher.
2: All right. For more on today's epic comeback, let's bring in one of Wall Street's biggest bulls, Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, always good to see you.
7: Great to be here, Mel. Thanks for Still having bullish, me. So bullish, I guess? Well, no. It's um, Our call has been for volatility in the first half, and, and to what Tim just said on, on the trade wars, I absolutely don't think the trade wars had any more to do with the downside than labor inflation from the January employment report had to do with kicking it off. You had a ridiculous level of bullishness in January, and that's why on the show we were talking about a correction. Think about this. Only 12 percent of investor intelligence newsletter writers were bearish in mid-January. Negative news sells. When's the last time you turned on the evening news and it was a dad pushing his kid on the swing or a mom, you know, tucking the baby into bed? It's always negative, negative, negative sells. To only have 12% of newsletter writers bearish, when that's how they get paid is to scare the hell out of you, is kind of an amazing thing. You're kind of the smartest guy in the room when you're bearish. You have great theories that kind of hit you. I'm kind of the idiot in the room for nine years. Every time I come on, I always bullish again. Because the fundamentals are bullish, Mel.
2: So it can be a combination of things. I mean, it sounds it seems almost as if um, your sort of um, theory that that there's extreme bullishness at one point. There was trade wars and fears about rising rates. Those were excuses to sell some of the most highly valued stocks, such as a Boeing. Boeing happened to be one of the most highly valued stocks at the market's peak. Plus, it would be straight in the crosshairs
7: of a trade war. Banks, industrials and tech. The three leaders, when, when inflation is rising, the Fed is raising rates, you want to do the productivity trade because it's what offsets higher inflation at the corporate level. So and they the, took the biggest those hit. those
2: sectors and those stocks within those sectors deserve to trade at the valuation that they did back in January?
7: Yeah, or higher. You know, ultimately, again, so let's forget my opinion. Who cares? Like, you know, we're good at being wrong. Let's look at the data. Two very different cycles. The last two economic cycles, when the Fed was flattening the yield curve by raising rates to combat inflation, the productivity trade worked, which is the financials, those that finance capital spending, capital markets and loans, the industrials that implement capital spending, technology, which is behind the implementation of capital spending, that's what works. So we keep trying to refigure it out. You had an extraordinary level of bullishness that created what we called a shock drop at the time. I can tell you from our desk, everybody's kind of looking at each other like, well, what do you do? You had 2,000 point days in a row. The VIX ramped to a historic degree. Nobody did anything. So guess what? You typically, when that happens, you bounce median of 5% when you exclude 2008 because we're not in that situation. And then you retest the low. Typically, you break it. We broke it in a few sectors. So uh, ultimately, this is kind of normal human. It's about human nature. And trade wars is the excuse. Well, so let me ask you this. I I
6: noticed in your notes, you're saying you have, I think, 20% revenue growth for the S&P 500? 20% earnings growth. Earnings growth growth for the S&P 500, target of 3,100. What of the factors that we've talked about, trade wars, uh, Federal Reserve, or Facebook or Google, or any of those kind of external of those, which of those causes you to revise that 20% earnings per share growth?
7: At this point, you would have to have an Armageddon-like shutdown in economic activity by small business and corporate America to do it. And, and the valuation argument's a terrific one, because I get it back a lot. Like, the market is discounting. It, it's, it's at a high valuation, are, are, and PEs are but, going to contract. But they have, because you're at 17 times. Right, they're high. Cheap. And they're high. But if you look at from a, a P.E. standpoint, your valuations are at about 17 times on this year's numbers. So you have to have a total fail of this year's numbers— or you've already had the multiple compression. If you stay right here, at the end of the year, you're going to be at 17 times. So you have, well, what did we have yet as of Friday? A 10% drop in the market and a 20% kind of a, almost a lock earnings gain. That's kind of a tough one to say. i got to be a seller down 10%. It's 7.5% up. We were on the show, all of us, talking about how, wow, this is too much. It's got to pull back. We, we came back not just at a full 10%.
2: So where are, you stand, where are you on the S&P 500 target? I'm at
7: 3,100 and probably too low, Mel. Sounds crazy. Like, what? how could you believe that? You're top on the street at 3,100. When I put out the what, 150... What is
2: that upside that you're not accounting for in 3,100? It's what earnings. Is that I'm at
7: 155 you in earnings. there's
2: only upside risk to earnings right now?
7: What, well, when I came out with my 155 estimate after the 21% corporate tax cut, I was high on the street by 9 bucks. From, Cons- how much did you upgrade to? 8.8%. So... Um, So everybody was at 146. I went to 155. The street is now at 157. And I still think they're too low because there's no margin expansion in there. The impact of buybacks, the capital spending productivity enhancement. Listen, this is going to end so badly. But that line has killed more portfolio managers than it's different this time because you tend to do it too early. It's just too early. We did a study that showed, let's say you invert the yield curve tomorrow, our big indicator, right? Your median gain is 21% over the next 18 and a half months, and your recession be- begins 19 months later. If you look at the last three cycles, which were levered cycles like this one, it was more upside and longer before peak and recession. Tony, thanks. Thanks. Tony, thanks for having I me. Tony
2: Canaccord Genuity.
7: Beginning of the year, Tony came on and said, this is going to be your volatility. <laughs> he said, you're going to
3: see a sell-off before we get to my 3,100 target. You saw it in February. Market bounce. He said, you know what? It was too tidy. We're going to have a retest. We had a retest last week. So if you didn't listen to him then, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you listen to him now? He's been absolutely spot on. Listen, I still think they're tremendous headwinds. We might disagree in terms of the economy. But in terms of the technicals, I think the market did everything you wanted to do on Friday. Is there
2: a possibility that analysts might actually ratchet or, or companies might take some of their estimates down? Well, look. It, I mean, we're, we're, are we – Equities. If there is a chilling effect – in terms of the possible impact of a trade war, we would feel it now. You
4: heard that in the De- – okay, so you heard in the Dallas manufacturing exactly. survey today yeah. a bunch of CEOs out there saying, we're actually really concerned, and a lot of them were explicit mm-hmm. about the steel industry. So I agree with that. Ultimately, equity markets have, tend to re-rate um, based upon the cost of equity. The cost of equity has gone higher, and, and I don't just mean the 10-year. I mean the risk in the overall market. So uh, having said all that, um, look at the SMH today. Look at what was working. It continues to work today.
2: Coming up, Facebook flirting with bear market territory. as The Federal Trade Commission says it is investigating the social media giant. The traders think there's more pain ahead. Plus, volatility is back. And despite today's rally, a number of stocks in the S&P are getting thrown out with the bathwater this month. When you find out what they are, you might just be pressing that buy button. And later, while Bitcoin cools off, the ICO, initial coin offering market, is on fire. But our ICO is really safe. We'll hear from the CEO of Coinless, Andy Bromberg, about the crowd sale of cryptocurrencies. You're watching Fast Money live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook flirting with bear market territory today as the FTC launches an investigation into the embattled social media company. Deirdre Bost is in San Francisco with more. Hi, Deirdre. Hey, Melissa, that's right. Facebook hit an all time high back in February,
0: and it is down nearly 20% since then. So it did briefly enter that bear market territory during today's session. Now, this all comes on the heels of more blowback, excuse me, and yet another apology. Facebook took out full page ads in American and British newspapers over the weekend. Zuckerberg saying, quote, we have a responsibility to protect your information. If we can't, we don't deserve it. But the FTC confirming its non-public probe was just one development today, which could result in a massive fine. The agency is investigating Facebook's practices and whether the company violated a consent decree they signed with the agency back in 2011. Now, Zuckerberg has also just today been invited to testify at a Judiciary Committee hearing on April 10th. A company spokesperson tells us that they're reviewing that invitation. Though, guys, it is getting harder to imagine how Zuckerberg could avoid doing so especially as lawmakers get louder in their appeals for him, not another Facebook representative, to appear on Capitol Hill. Now, on top of the Cambridge Analytica scandal, Facebook is also facing fallout today from a revelation that it's been logging the text and call histories for some Android users. The company acknowledging it in a post last night, calling it an opt-in feature and saying that it never sells the data or sees the content. Now, shares of Facebook did finish the day higher, along with the broader market, but big question, still remain? Like, will advertisers stick with the platform? So far, guys, a handful of smaller players backing off. We'll see if bigger players like P&G and Unilever follow suit.
2: Back over to you. All right. Thank you, Deidre. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. If you just took a look at the chart of Facebook today, it was a heroic reversal, right? It was about a 9 10% uh, reversal from the lows of the session. What would you say, if you didn't know about any of these other headlines, and you only saw the chart. Right.
3: Well, I said it on Thursday, and I was mm-hmm. wrong. I thought Thursday and Friday, in terms of the volume we saw, the stock traded 130 million shares, which was ridiculous volume for Facebook. And I thought 160 that it held was a big level. Traded down to 149 today, as you alluded to. So I missed that one. But it came all the way back, and it's 160 now. And I'll still say the same thing. You know, Facebook will grow 22 23% earnings growth, trades at 1920 times forward earnings valuation is reasonable. I don't think people are leaving. I don't think advertisers are leaving. I mean I don't think there's any any choice, right? You have Google, you have
5: Facebook. I think that advertisers are sort of locked and loaded. But I've been in and out of this trade and it hasn't worked. I think it broke a technical level, 161.95. It's the March 20th low, and that to me means it's got to do a lot more work in technicals before you actually become a buying opportunity again. I would probably say the 200-day moving average 172.80.
2: Just to be safe, Uh use data support. So the technicals don't look good. How about the fundamentals?
6: Well, I'll tell you what. I would rather buy Facebook than Google. I think there's a lot more risk in Google. Because if what we're looking at is peak centralization, the idea that all your data is going through one particular area, Google's just as vulnerable as Facebook, and I don't think people have figured that out yet. So if I were going to be, I'd be buying Facebook and selling Google.
2: So they didn't sell off Google enough? And well, that's they, why there's, you been, there's been no news right. on
6: Google yet, right? But the logical conclusion is Folks, that they're next. Would, yeah.
4: Facebook's been underperforming for two years, well before this news. You now have news out. By the way, Baird has a report out that they're at least saying they've seen some decline in engagement since these headlines have hit. They've been doing surveys. People have been checking in. We've certainly been hearing from high-profile people that say they're deleting their accounts. Advertisers are not necessarily, we don't know where the regulation's going to go, but they may not get these hyper-targeted ads that they've been getting that they've been paying a lot of money for. So to act like that, that, that Facebook's earnings are not going to be affected by this, I think it's crazy. Putting it at the same multiple, I think, is crazy. But the bigger question is, I think, those companies out there who have data as their core asset that are also at risk. And which management teams are really taking the proper steps and which ones are offsides like Facebook's been?
3: No, I think Tim makes a good point. You've got to believe that earnings will be affected. And even with that, I still think it's relatively cheap. But there are other things that Facebook has as well. Instagram. Is a big deal. What's that? We laughed, or at least I laughed about it a couple years ago. Dan Nathan was the only one that ever heard of it that night. But that's a big deal. And Oculus will be a big deal. So I think Facebook will get through this. I guess is my point. I'm not trying to be glib. It's not that at all. But I just think in, in terms of a hiccup, I think this is what exactly what it is for Facebook.
2: All right. Still ahead, despite the comeback rally, stocks on track for another down month. The charts say there's a number of names that have fallen too far too fast. We'll tell you which ones, which what they are, and which ones are. Uh, buying opportunities. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
6: That's what the cryptocurrency universe looks like today. But despite the Bitcoin bear market, there's one crypto trade that's heating up. We'll explain. Plus, Tesla shares in reverse as the electric car maker faces speed bump after speed bump. So just how bad could it get? We've got a special report. Much more Fast Money right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. The markets have been on a roller coaster ride recently. A number of stocks are feeling the wrath of all the volatility. Bob Design is at the New York Stock Exchange with more. Hi, Bob.
8: Hello, Melissa, a lot of oversold conditions. Now, two things were different from Friday today. First, the tone on trade was completely different. And secondly, we did not have the massive wave of sell orders on the close that we had on Friday. That was a big difference. We were led up by technology and financials. These are the two biggest sectors of the S&P 500. They are collectively 41% of the S&P 500, two sectors. When they move big, the whole market moves. Both sectors were dramatically oversold in the last few weeks, and that was a big factor in the bounce that we saw today. How oversold? Well, one simple way to look at it, one way I look at it, is relative strength index, which measures how fast stocks are moving in a defined time period. So it's typically over a two-week period. This is a classic momentum indicator. The RSI assigns a numerical value to stock movement. So when a stock is below 30, it's a signal that it is dramatically oversold. Stocks in this territory will typically bounce absent a huge macro event. It is rare for whole sectors to hit that level, but that's exactly what happened in several key groups on Friday. So at the close on Friday, here's an example. Big banks, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, Bank of America, they were all in their 20s. This is the most oversold readings we have seen in several years on those stocks. Industrials like General Electric, United Technologies, even Boeing, they were all sitting right on the edge oversold territory as well. Even three of the five fang names Facebook, Alphabet, and Apple, they were also sitting right on the edge of oversold territory. Now, another big help for the markets is that for the second time this year on Friday, the S&P hit its 200-day moving average. That's a key technical indicator. And it bounced. The market bottomed on February 9th when that happened. And it appears to have bottomed today. So you get a reversal of the tone on trade. And you get dramatically oversold conditions. And you get the kind of big move we had today. Melissa, back to
2: you. All right. Thank you very much, Bob Pisani. So let's trade some of these names. Um, Are these buying opportunities? What struck me in that list was General Electric. Was down today. On the edge of being (laughs) oversold still. It was down today. And it was down today. And
4: and I think there are stories (laughs) that are going to have trouble bouncing in any environment. And and back to what Bob said, the S&P, as an entire index, had a 22, nine-day RSI. Some people do 13 days. Some people do nine. It doesn't matter. It was way oversold. Um, I think, uh, going back to semiconductors, classic case of if you sold Intel on Friday, you're hating it. You're cutting your flowers and you're keeping your weeds. This is one of the great companies out there at a decent valuation. I got back in there today.
6: Well, for me, I think probably the best risk reward of the names that Bob mentioned is Boeing because you know exactly where your stopout level is. We've had two lows here around 320, 319 or so, so I'd go there. But also Netflix, which wasn't mentioned part of the fangs, actually relative strength was pretty good relative
5: to the market. I know we're disrupting the game, but I agree with BK on the Netflix, even though it wasn't it's part no game of the, gameplay. Gameplay. the game. So, we're just I'm, picking I'm, stocks, I'm Steve. doing it up here as, as, normal, as normal. Lee. <laughs> yeah. Normal Lee. All right, So I would, buy, I would Who's be a buyer of Bank, Bank America. So let's go under the XLF, guys. So a KRE, Regional Banking Index, has been outperformed the XLF. But I looked at Bank America last week. Looked like it was forming a double bottom. Reacted well today. I would think about adding some financials. But we got you're playing a game but now with Steve. Play a
4: game. So you know. We're,
2: We're not Dave. playing any game. We're would not playing any game. This is you not a game. Tim, shut up? Serious yes. business
4: here. I mean, you know, that's <laughs> not going to be easy to which do. Which
2: oversold stocks, Bob had mentioned, do you find a buy? Boeing,
3: I think, is a, okay. to me, is the most interesting one. And they report, I think, on April 16th thereabout. I mean, the valuation, which was concerning, is now not nearly as concerning after they revised guidance last quarter. So, You're talking about a stock that's probably trading close to 20 times forward earnings. Tremendous balance sheet. I don't think this whole China tariff thing is going to get that many legs. That's been a concern. So I think Boeing, out of all the names, is the most interesting.
2: Still ahead, Tesla seeing a huge reversal today, ending up nearly 1% despite fresh concerns over deliveries. Shares have been stuck in reverse all year, but are there any signs of a turnaround? We will explain. Plus, crypto getting crushed today as all the major coins plummet. Despite this move, there's one area of the crypto market that is still booming, and it could shake out to be the biggest trend this year. We've got the details. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Overstock. Shares are tanking in the after hour session. Let's get to Kate Rogers in the newsroom for the details.
9: Kate. Hi, Melissa. That's right. The e-commerce company down around 9%. This on news that it plans to issue 4 million shares of new stock. Also of important note here, remember, they've made a push into the e-commerce space and announced earlier in March that the SEC is currently investigating the company uh, for its crypto subsidiary sale of digital tokens. Year-to-date as well, Melissa. Overstock is down around 30%. Back over to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rogers, Grosso,
2: you've been in overstock. I still am you in, are still overstock. in overstock.
5: I'm still up in my position 30%, but this is a terrible chart, but it looks a lot like Bitcoin's chart. So for me, I played it as an ICO uh-huh. play, and there's been some issues with the SEC investigation. That's what really put the, uh, I don't want to say nail in the coffin, because then the, then the story's over. So I don't think the story is over just yet. This is not for the faint of heart. I'm still long. Let
2: late. me ask you this, if a, if a company, so that the SEC was investigating any sort of subsidiary of any part of their company. Wouldn't you pull the plug on the investment? No. No.
5: No. That's not only, enough to scare you away. It depends on the. This is something. This is unchartered territory. This is something. The ICO market is unchartered territory. It would make but me even more nervous. Be, there has no? to be investigations. There has to be due diligence. I think a lot of this stuff is just a normal state of affairs. But, but with what we've seen with a lot
4: of the, the ICOs or the Long Island ICTs of the world, it, it just seems to me that that for every good one, there have been however many, um, but certainly more than one, that have not only not been real, you know, underlying stories, but actually have, have challenged true SEC kind of guidelines. So, This would concern me. And, and, you know, again, I think this is something that people are going to have to follow through on.
2: All right, let's stick with crypto here. The carnage continues uh, with the biggest coins tanking across the board. Bitcoin falling below $8,000. But despite this wreck, it's still shaping up to be a hot year for ICOs. Seema Modi's breaking it down. Hi, Seema.
9: Hey, Melissa. Yeah, speaking of initial coin offerings, they have drawn a lot of scrutiny from regulators, but that hasn't stopped startups from raising ICO funds. We're not even done with the first quarter yet, and the latest data shows that ICO fundraising has topped almost $3 billion. That's almost half of what ICOs raised last year. Though, keep in mind, a recent survey found that nearly half of ICOs in 2017 have failed. This year, according to Bitcoinist, over 40 ICOs are underway. Two companies that have launched successful offerings, Dragoncoin and Bank A, which both raised $320 million and $150 million respectively. The biggest to date is WhatsApp rival Telegram, which has reportedly raised over $1 billion. At the same time, the SEC continues to sound the alarm around token offerings, which has put pressure on big advertisers like Facebook, Google and even Twitter to ban cryptocurrency-related content. What's also surprising is the fact that ICO fundraising hasn't slowed down in the face of this cryptocurrency plunge. Check it out, Bitcoin down 40%, Ethereum down 33%, and Ripple off 70% here in 2018. While the ICO market is somewhat insulated from the day-to-day price volatility because the time horizon is much longer, some experts say if the sell-off continues in the cryptocurrency space, the good times can't last for long. Melissa.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Seema Modi. Um, It might seem counterintuitive that ICOs are doing okay, even as the major coins are actually plummeting, but it seems to make sense. People are are reaching for better returns. Yeah,
6: people are reaching, but but ICOs are doing better in terms of being able to raise money. A lot of these ICOs aren't doing that well after they come off. Once they come and start trading on the public market, you get an initial pop and then all the sellers come out. So, I would be very careful with ICOs. I mean, I've done a couple of them, we do some of them, but you know, that number of 45% uh, have failed last year. I think that number is going higher. I think 90% of these and things go to And fail means zero.
2: what? The company no longer exists? Yeah. I mean, well, idea? here's the problem
6: that you have with these, right, is that these people have raised so much money that there's not a lot of incentive to continue to do work. And so you could have these things, because they're kind of like zombie companies. They go on forever, although no product is delivered. So I I would just say be very careful in this ICO craze.
2: All right, for an inside look at the ICO boom, let's bring in Andy Bromberg. He's the CEO of CoinList, a platform that actually helps token creators with the ICO process, while also weeding out potential scams. Andy, great to have you with us. Um, I would imagine that there's a a lot of prospectuses or, or plans coming across your desk for ICOs, do you have to reject a lot? Do you weed, do you weed out a lot of them? What's, what's the hit rate?
1: Absolutely. The hit rate is very low in this industry. Uh, CoinList has publicly had on our site only three ICOs out of more than 900 inbound applications. So we say certainly the vast majority of these ICOs are really low quality or scams or frauds and would echo those comments that you have to be incredibly careful. I think what's, what's important here is doing that diligence and figuring out how you can diligence these ICOs. They are incredibly risky, early stage investments, but it's not like you're going to Vegas and gambling your money away. There are things you can do to determine which ones are high quality and which ones aren't, and that's a lot of what we do over here at CoinList in order to determine which ICOs we want to work with.
2: So in terms of, you know, Brian Kelly here was talking about how some companies were raising the money, and then after that, they weren't really incented to to grow their business or actually do anything with the money besides just having the money and maybe spending the money. That seems like just a straight out scam. How do you determine whether or not a company is actually incented to do something? Because if a company is raising the money on the premise of doing something for the business that seems more akin to being a security, a la Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, versus just a, a, an ICO or a fundraising device.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And in fact, uh, SEC Chairman Jay Clayton has said that he has yet to see an ICO that's not a sale of securities. And that doesn't mean that the tokens in the long-term won't be securities, <laughs> uh, but certainly at the beginning, these are th- sales of securities, they're sales to finance the early building of a company And So when we look at it, we look at it a lot like an early stage investment in any company, looking at the team, deciding if they have integrity, if they have a high quality technical team, if they've built real product in the past. And that's where you start. Once you get past that, then you can look at the details of the ICO, how the sale is structured, what the token economic model looks like. But at the beginning, you have to do the same team evaluation you would for any startup or any company you're investing in. And that's really what helps you determine if the sale is going to finance a company that will actually build something meaningful, or if they're just raising money for the sake of raising money and then going to run away with it. But
2: embedded in in investing in an ICO is a belief that the token itself will actually have value and retain value after the money is raised. So on CoinList, of the ICOs that you have listed, how have the coins done in the aftermarket?
1: Uh, So actually, of the coins that we have worked with publicly at CoinList, uh, none of them are trading yet. And I think this is a really important consideration. They're all uh, still working towards building their live tokens and, and launching their networks. And building these networks and having them actually accrue value is a long process. It is hard technology that you have to build. So we work with, with companies that want to sell these, finance the building of something really meaningful, and then launch it, not trying to make a quick buck, you know, getting that initial pop, as, as someone just said, uh, and then selling quickly. So you know, of the ones we've worked with publicly, Filecoin, Blockstack, and Props, they all sold securities, and now they're off-building, and soon they will launch their tokens on, on various timelines and then build value into those tokens and see those tokens increase in value, hopefully. But certainly, we're not looking for the ones that are just looking for that initial pop and then trying to get out of the market with the money that they've made.
6: Hey, Andy, it's BK. Uh, I'm curious. Twitter has said they're not going to do cryptocurrency ads. I think uh, Facebook, everybody else is banning those. Does that help or hurt your business?
1: Uh, it doesn't really have a huge impact on, on coinless business, for the sales that we, we work with. I will say I actually think it's a really smart move by those companies because, as we're saying, evaluating these sales is really hard, requires a great deal of expertise, and that's expertise that very few people have because this ICO industry is so new. So if I were Twitter, Facebook, Google, these companies that are banning, even Snapchat, banning ICO ads... I'd be looking at it and saying, listen, I don't know how to evaluate these yet. We don't have the expertise internally. Let's take a breather here, take a minute, figure out how this industry is going to work, and then come back at it once we have that expertise internally. But I'd rather have no ads on there than ads for scams and frauds alongside legitimate companies. So I think it's actually a good move for. The industry and a good move for those companies.
2: What was Tezos in your view and what sort of lesson was that for the ICO community? I mean, the notion that the foundation would be in charge of the money and that the co-founders were in charge of the source code, that seems like a, a really bad <laughs> a really bad setup, especially for the people who are investing in the ICO. So how has that changed uh, the ICO game in terms of management and governance?
1: Well, yeah, what we have to remember here is that the ICO industry is so young, really less than a year old, at least in its, its popular form. And so we're still figuring out what these structures should look like. Should it be foundation structures? Should it be corporate structures? Who should have control over these distributed networks? And these are really hard questions. If we thought back to venture capital in the 1940s when it got started, we did not have all the structures and incentives worked out properly. What we're excited about is teams like Blockstack, who we worked with, building in incentives in their product, in their fund, in order to make it so that they have incentives to build it out, governance structures around what they're building. Uh, And I think a lot of the early ICOs that happened in the first half or even up to the third quarter of 2017 didn't know exactly what they were doing structure-wise. They were guinea pigs and experimenting with some early structures. And we're going to see a lot of innovation and a lot more tight governance controls in the year 2018 and beyond.
2: I'm just curious, Andy, how often do you talk to the regulators these days? Is this like a daily occurrence? Do you guys have a team in Washington?
1: We certainly have a constant dialogue with the regulators. And the piece that's so important here is that regulation is coming, and the regulators have been very reasonable so far. They took their time to understand the space and they came out and said, We think existing regulations should apply to this. We just need to figure out exactly how. And so, having those conversations with regulators, helping them understand the nitty gritty of the industry and understand how things are working and what these new norms are going to be around sales structures, around governance structures, Mm -hmm. is something that we at Coinlist are spending a lot of time doing. And we're seeing the best people in the industry doing the exact same thing, taking that time to speak with the regulators and make sure that things come out correctly.
2: Andy, thanks for your time. Thank you. Andy Bromberg of Coinlist. Would you invest in an ICO, Tim?
4: Well, it's
1: funny. He said the advertisers
4: can't. They don't know what's really on their site, what's, what's the real deal. And I think this is an issue for investors. I mean, they, they really don't know. And even Brian talked about um, that there are certainly plenty of ICOs that it's very difficult to value them. One of the things that I think is also happening now, um, we talked about the ICO volume and how it's actually picked up. But think of all the money that's been raised for the sector by funds that actually have to go out and invest in these types of things. And I think it could be a little misleading. I mean, there's guys that now have built a business around investing in these things, and they have to invest in them. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's been a successful year.
2: So it's like a virtuous... I, I mean, mean a like, lot of there's money, money has being deployed, in, and it, they have to buy it, well, and so they, it. they are their deploying Their whole point it. is
4: we're
6: going to find the next 10 bagger, and we've got to buy it at the ICO. And the other side of that is the reason why, in my view, why Ethereum and Bitcoin are down is these companies that are doing the ICO, they're taking in Ethereum, and now they need to sell that Ethereum to pay their bills in U.S. dollars.
2: Coming up Microsoft surging today after Morgan Stanley said the tech giant could win the race to $1 trillion and upped its price target on the stock. By 50 percent, we'll hear from the analysts behind that bold call in just a few minutes. Plus, Tesla sitting in a bear market as the company hits yet another speed bump over delivery expectations and the stock's high-flying days behind it. The traders will weigh in. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla seeing a big reversal today, but the stock still parked in bear market territory after a slew of negative headlines. So, what is wrong with this stock? Phil Lebeau is here on set to explain. Hi, Phil. Hello. Well, We're
10: all waiting for next week. Let's just cut to the chase here. <laughs> That's really the story behind Tesla, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But there has been some news over the last 24 to 48 hours. Let's start first off with Elon Musk test uh, tes- twic- Twittering. Twitter. I can't even you. T- tweeting. There we go, <laughs> tweeting over the weekend that they're going to slow down deliveries to Norway because they're having some problems managing those vehicles coming into the country. They also announced that they have got an order for 20 semis from FedEx. FedEx, the latest shipping company, to say, yeah, look, we'll take some of those electric semis when they finally are delivered after 2020, 2019, 2020, about there. And finally, they're awaiting Q1 deliveries. That's why when you take a look at shares of Tesla – As they move lower, increasingly you are hearing from analysts, you are hearing from those who track the company, I don't think they're going to make $2,500 per week by this week. This is the week they're supposed to be at $2,500 per week in production. Baird out with a note, Ben Callow, this is not a surprise given the fact that Ben Callow generally has been pretty bullish on Tesla. We continue to believe the company will achieve a production rate of $2,500 per week in a matter of weeks, not months. Despite significant skepticism, and guys, there's a lot of skepticism out there, which then ultimately sets up the question. We know they're going to announce numbers next week that nobody is expecting them to say we're at twenty five hundred per week in production. So the question becomes, how long do you wait? How long do you say, okay, will you do it by the end of the second quarter? If you can, maybe I'll wait or are we looking further out? And that's the big question for everybody.
4: Well, it, it seems to me we've had this discussion, yeah. we could have been having this discussion for the last three years. Absolutely. And, and, and if you listen to the chatter from, you know, kind of the OEMs, the, the, the essentially the traditional auto world, they don't seem to be terribly concerned about the Model 3, do they, Phil? I mean, th- do they really think that these guys are going to disrupt them out of being in the same space?
10: Not yet. Not yet. In part because they're looking at the production issues that they're having right. and they're saying, look, if we see this ramp up, and we see this become a hot model. Remember when the Prius came out? That spooked the traditional automakers other than Toyota because they were like, it was, ugly. Well, it was ugly, but it was hot. And people were like, I got to have this. There were people waiting for it. Right. It's not hot anymore. But that's the kind of thing that spooks the yeah. traditional automakers, you still have not yours, the right? Model 3.
2: <laughs> but even even if, if Tesla can deliver some Model 3s, I mean, there are some issues. I mean, Edmunds was sort of skeptical about the fit in and finish Correct. right of the vehicle yes. itself so even in cnbc.com
10: laura kolodny has done a number of stories yeah. about how they're having to do some remanufacturing right these are all the issues that people have predicted for a long time saying it's one thing to be a niche automaker which is what tesla is it's another thing to become a mass automaker Phil,
5: what about this though could they be just to push back could they be in a sweet spot where no one expects them to make production numbers if they do, ma- so if they miss again, everyone says, well, we're used to it already. Right. And maybe there will still be a slow slide like we've seen now or technical bounces. But if they do get close or get above consensus or maybe they hit a production number, what happens to the name? Oh, then? I think the stock moves higher. I think the stock moves
10: higher because people have pretty much said we don't expect it to be the news next week when they finally announce Q1 deliveries. And they probably perhaps will give us some indication about where they are in terms of their production schedule.
2: You said 180 was 280.
3: So so you go back to 2014, the high was uh, 280. 2015, the high was 280. Prior resistance becomes support. Now, Tim's been spot on in this thing, and it's interesting. This market rally today couldn't have come at a better time for Tesla. The question really comes down to was the 291 low today enough on the downside? To Steve's point, and I think Steve is spot on, we've become so desensitized to the missing production numbers that if Ben Callow is right, this stock will be trading $50 higher from where it currently is. So, in my book, I think today's move down to 290 and bounce was enough.
6: What do you think? Yeah, I, I think as a trader, and you look at this and you say, "Where is the support? 280, 290?" I want to be in this because I'm thinking that it's already priced in, and I would stick with Callow as well. If he's right about it, boy, you're up 50 bucks
2: easily. All right, Phil, good to see you in person. Good to be here. Enjoy the auto show. That's why you're here, right? Yes. Okay, <laughs> Phil about. Coming up, Microsoft soaring today after Morgan Stanley said it could reach $1 trillion in market cap in the next year. So what has them so bullish? We'll hear from the analysts behind the call. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Do not go anywhere. Much more fast money still ahead.
10: Microsoft and these cloud services are actually expanding the market opportunity by making it lower cost, easier to use, and actually expanding the amount of work you can do in in a cloud environment by the types of workloads you can do. We think they're actually expanding the overall market environment and creating their own market, if you will.
2: That was Keith Weiss of Morgan Stanley earlier on Trading Nation after raising Microsoft's price target to 130 from 110. Weiss explaining that Microsoft's cloud business could ultimately propel the tech giant to $1 trillion in market cap over the next 12 months. So, with Microsoft hitting $706 billion in market cap today, it has officially joined Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet in the race to $1 trillion. Could Microsoft actually finish? first, Tim.
4: Of course they could, but I don't think they will. And I think their, their space in the public cloud is just amazing what they've done over the last four or five years in that space. Um, I think they're going to need some new innovation. In fact, I think competition gets more severe for them. Apple's got a healthy head start. And although it's not been the best of times in the last couple of months for Apple, I actually think they're reloading the gun.
2: And p- part of his argument is that this the whole space is growing. So even though they're competing against a lot of strong players already, Amazon, Getting Google, et
5: AWS. I AWS, mean, oh, that, that was the hidden gem within yeah. Amazon. So I, what I did hear from that when he said they could lower the cost, and the fear has been the neg- negativity is making a commoditized business, lowering the cost, and usually Amazon's responsible for doing that, not the likes of a Microsoft. So I think you have to fear that. I don't think Microsoft is going to be the first to 1000000000000 trillion.
6: Don't you pick, like, two or three of them, and you get, like, is it a trifecta or something? Mm. I, I would go with Microsoft 2, Amazon 1. Nice. That's my pick right there.
2: Microsoft will be second we'll to be the second $2 the other two, ahead of Apple. The other two out there, I think they've got problems. Oh, you want to rank? Oh, this is yeah. not a fun game. So that's that big <laughs> trumpet they play.
3: So. You know, it's funny because what month is it? April's next, then you have May, yeah. Kentucky Derby, and you can see that we're going to blow those horns on the Friday before the Kentucky Derby. Baseball opens this Baseball week. Baseball opens this week. Microsoft has to rally 38%. I can do that math to get to a trillion dollars. That's a significant move in a one year's time for a stock that valuation wise might be a little expensive. Not to suggest it can't go higher. But a trillion dollars for Microsoft in a year, to me, that would be a long shot, Melms. All right.
2: Well, in the race to $1 trillion, options traders are piling into one name in particular, not Microsoft, Amazon. Mike goes in Austin to break down the action, Mike.
10: Yeah, so it's interesting. Amazon sees about twice as much notional options volume as the other three names you just mentioned combined. And where we saw most of the activity today was the weekly 1,600 calls, over 3,800 of those trading for about two and a quarter. So those are bullish bets that the stock's going to be above 1,602 by the end of the week, which would represent, incidentally, a market cap of $775 billion. So I guess they're thinking that the march is going to happen in that.
2: All right, Mike, thanks. Mike Coe and Austin for us. And uh, just a reminder, we're off Friday for the holiday, so for more options action, Uh, check out the full show the week after Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trade. Final Trade time. Tim. My baseball roto
4: draft
5: tonight, Mel. XLF.
2: Yippee. (laughs) (laughs) PK.
5: NVIDIA, NVDA, you buy that one. Grasso. Sell Micron, lock in profits. Time
3: to go down. E. To, Tim, I, to Tim, I say dime, and
5: then
2: I say AMD. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.